Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to spark possibilities, reigniting purpose and meaning. My first guest is my friend, Darren Tully. Began his career as an accountant and discovered that he loved connecting with humans even more. Along the way, Darren had a personal awakening and has pieced his experience together. Ignite Happy was founded by Darren to help people ignite happiness from within and experience the amazing connections that are in front of us every day. As the chief of possibilities, Darren happily encourages action and inspires commitment to change as if lives are depending on it. He's also the author of Live Your Possible, Ignite Your Happy, Authentic Self, and live a fulfilling life rooted in joy, inclusion, and love of possibilities. Darren, my friend, thanks for hanging out with me. Hey, Lisa, I'm thrilled to be back and to be talking with you today. Me too. I think this subject matter, this area that you're highlighting of inclusion and when people feel that they are part of and connected, what it does to our happiness. Yeah, it's incredible. It's amazing when you see uh, people's eyes open up with love and hope and to be noticed that, hey, I'm here. And you notice that and you see that. It's, it's powerful. Talk a little bit about your own story, because you have an interesting path to joy. <laughs> you know, I always thought I was on my happy path uh, in life, and it was pretty sheltered and probably limiting when I look back at it. And uh, I, had, you know, I had this moment where it was an awakening, and it was uh, I was at an event. I was actually at a diversity and inclusion event, and I was with uh, 25 people in total, and there are four other folks that look like me. I'm, I'm a white male. And there were 20 other folks that were not, were nine white males. And, um, you know, it was a four day event. It was an immersion event. And, um, you know, I had, I had this thought that, um, we were there just to learn the typical, uh, elements of what inclusion is, what's diversity. Um, little did I know that, uh, this was really an explosive event. And for me, the first couple of days, you know, we got to know people really well and we, and we got to connect with people. And I, I did a really nice job connecting with Satanists. That I, you know, I, I think typically I've been uncomfortable with with differences and people that are different than me, or maybe where people came from or in a different place from what I was taught and what society has given me to think about in life. And you know, after the first couple of days, you know, we got to know people's children. Children, you know, we saw pictures, we saw what people what what people up, what got people excited, what motivated people. Didn't matter what you look like, where you came from, what your orientation might be. What what I started to realize what I started to realize is that I was not opening myself up to people like I wanted to. Like I, I went into that event with a purpose to bring out the best in people all around me. What I realized I was, 
I was doing is I was doing that for folks that were like me. I wasn't doing that for people that weren't like me. And after a couple of days, we started to share some of the frustrations in the world, some of the uh, missteps, the uh, the injustice that's going on in the world where people are are not given opportunities or looked at differently or treated differently or poorly. And I started to feel ashamed. I started to feel terrified, actually. What I recognized is that I actually had been part of the problem. I I recognized I've had this unconscious bias that I was not welcoming people in. I was actually pushing people away. And when I, when I noticed that I, I could have broken down and what I, what I had done is I actually started to cry and started to get really, really um, scared because what I recognized is my bubble, bubble of sameness actually burst. And, and th- on that third day, I, I approached the group to talk to folks to, to say, I'm, I'm, I want to apologize about my dishonesty the last couple of days. I haven't contributed fully as my authentic self. I want to bring out the best and I wasn't bringing out the best. And I was crying in front of, all these people. I've never cried at work. I didn't, I didn't think we were allowed to cry at work. I didn't believe in that. And I, it was such an emotional moment. I, I, I recall looking across the room at one of the friends that had made that day that I don't think I ever would have had a knock on through this event, which is scary in itself. And she looked at me with, with anger, with hope, with love, with tears in her eyes. And I had the same going on in my eyes. And I recognized at that point that there's a beautiful light inside all of us. There's a beauty inside all of us that I needed to see past what I had been taught to uh, hold, hold against or to shelter or preserve in my own life. And that's where I realized my, my bubble didn't burst. It actually expanded. And really, this is where this journey all, all took hold, where I, I had this awakening. I, I committed to change, and I started to take steps forward. I even grabbed a pink pen to say, this is my accountability reminder. I'm going to make a difference with this pen and, and change the narrative from here going forward. <laughs> and what I realized is that I realized the people that I pushed away actually held me up. And that's what that, that's what inspired me to say, I'm going to do the same for everybody else in my path going forward. And it was a turning point in your life, personally and professionally, where you uh, decided to move from your world as a CPA into this world of uplifting others. Absolutely. I, and I went into this field of numbers uh, thinking I could drive results and influence people. And what I was doing is driving results first. And I had it upside down, similar to how I was viewing the world of saying that I was upside down. I needed to welcome in different thinking and differences and different people and recognize that the shift was the people, the people would drive the results without people. You don't drive results without people. We can't change the world without people. We really don't have joy. And I think when I started to see that shift, I started to feel joy within myself uh, just as a result of that shift. And I, I started to expand not only my thinking, but as you said, I started to change my career track as well. Let's go back to the, the sense of sameness, right? That, that you were in this bubble of 24 people, four of which were white men. The rest were every other eh, color of the international rainbow. And I'm wondering if when we, when we look at our workplace or we look at our professional lives, if we're always in the sameness with air quotes, right? If we're always in same we don't get diverse perspective either. And maybe I'm not saying that right, right? That diversity of the people also represents diversity of opinion and process. You're saying that beautifully. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it was a learning for me to get there to the, what, you know, when you think about inclusion, we think about what, what the world's telling us to do or telling us to be. What, what the reality here is welcoming other human beings, 
with other thinking, other thoughts, other ideas and perspectives, exactly what you said. And when people feel that they can contribute that way, especially in a safe environment at work or at home or in your community, people light up, people shine. And that, that's what I was pushing away. And what I was fear of in protecting and preserving was saying this, I was missing out on that expansion of opportunity and possibilities that actually was sitting there right in front of me. I never noticed until I had this, this epiphany and this awakening. What's interesting is that in today's world, for many, they have to be taught inclusion, right? Like, and if you think back to when you were a kid, and I know you like to live in the kid space, you know, you love that <laughs> childlike joy. Like when you're in the sandbox as a kid, you don't see that the other is the other. Yeah, it's wonderful too. I, I agree with that. I, and I, I'd love the thinking of when we were children and probably our greatest points of joy. We had our greatest sense of wonder. We were able to be creative. We were able to have this light of why not or it could be and the moon's chasing me. Those type of things fade. And, you know, we get more serious or, or, or the systemic uh, elements are put upon us to believe and think a certain way. And we're not thinking for ourselves. And that's where I really root to are we being our, our authentic selves? Because if we can get to our authentic selves back to when we were those ch ch you know, child age years, that's when we used to shine. And that's when we could shine again. We have to remember those days. And there are moments that we all have that we probably had our best moments where we didn't look at somebody else because of the way they looked. We, we looked at somebody else to say, hey, I wonder what we can create today. I wonder if we could actually go down and get these toothpicks and have a toothpick race. I wonder if we can go <laughs> sell a newspapers to our, our local um, the local neighbors, because we want to know what gets them excited and, and, and you know, uh, what makes them tick, because there are things that will amaze you. And I remember when I was a paper boy, we, like I mentioned the story in the past, uh, we started a local, a local paper route to understand what really got people excited. And what was pretty cool about that story, Lisa, is that when we reached out and asked people to participate in our local Sylvan Gazette, our local story, people opened up, people People shined in a, number, in a way I've never seen before. People shared stories about their kids, their vacations, their recipes, their accomplishments, their joy about their neighbors. And, you know, we used to, I used to see neighbors wave at each other. But after that, I saw neighbors wave, waving each other down to say, I want to connect. I want to talk with you. And that's, that's the same thing here. We want people to have uh, the ability to, to interact safely and openly because I, I, my goal here is to actually help people rise each other onto an equal playing field where people can be innovative, can be belonging, can be creative, can be their authentic selves, can be their full selves. I mean, some people say to me, like, you don't want my full self. Uh, <laughs> yet we want people to be the best self that they can actually thrive in. And it, we all belong to that. We're all humans. And we all have the opportunity to do that. And the path I've been on, I used to push people away when I, when I've changed my narrative and I I've invited people in and welcome differences along with the sameness, I think the combination and the intersection is where the beauty is. When I've done that, I've gotten more joy than I've ever seen in my life, I've ever felt in my life. I have more love in my life. Possibilities are popping all around me every day. And it's that acceptance and that willingness to let go of what I was trying to protect, which I'm not sure anymore what that was. Uh, I, I want to just tap into authentic self and authenticity, because these are words that are often overused. They might bring eye rolls to some people's heads, you know, and I know what you mean by that, but maybe you could explain to our listeners the challenge of authenticity. Yeah, there's, there are challenges to that. You know, the first thing is I think as we bring ourselves into any environment, be it the workplace, being even at home, uh, what we teach our children at home or at school or in our communities, there's, 
you know, there's this ability to be our, our true selves when we're really young again, right? We kind of ask those questions and there's no question is a bad question. We ask why not. We ask a lot of whys. We're really curious, which is a huge word here uh, for us to live with wonderment. And what happens is that we get judged along the way. We are told we are not creative. We're told to live with convergent uh, thinking. We have to have a, uh, you know, a zero or a one. It's a binary solution or answer. There's not anything in between. And when we do that, we start to form beliefs. We start to form our thinking based on what's taught to us, what's told to us. And we get away from our authentic, authentic selves and authenticity. And that means we get further away from our ability to actually find joy or our ability to actually be creative and innovative. Because there's tons of research on, on folks that are feeling they can actually be innovative and be creative, that our people are developing new companies, have better results. Same thing with joy. When people are able to contribute in new ways or learn in new ways, they're actually able to find more joy. And there's proof that there's more productivity and people actually bring more joy at home. We bring more joy at home. We're more open and more inclusive. And it's just a ripple effect that happens in our communities. And that, you know, I think it all starts from within all of us. Now, as, you know, Lisa, you talk about happiness is an inside job and it, everything starts with us. It's happiness. It's our ability to be inclusive. Are we open-minded? Do we have a purpose word? Do we have something that has a greater, greater meaning that affects all of us for the greater good? You know, what are those elements that really will impact you to tie to your authentic self? It's, it's finding out what really gets us to tick and get excited and to light us up so we can be authentic every day. Let's take a break. And when we come back, Darren, I want to ask you to share your path to possible because this is really the pillars of your book, Live Your Possible, Ignite Your Happy Authentic Self, and Live a Fulfilling Life Rooted in Joy, Inclusion, Love, and Possibilities. To learn more about Darren Tully and his work, please go to IgniteHappy.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the handle is at IgniteHappy. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back continuing the conversation with Darren Tully. We're talking about sparking possibilities, reigniting purpose and meaning. Let's get back to it. So Darren, I would love for you to take us down the path to possible. Oh, that's fun, Lisa. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do it. Thought experiments. Let's get on it. your thinking caps, oh everyone. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, definitely a couple experiments I'd love to uh, share with, with the audience. You know, first thing, I would love for you to do is, is you know, take a pause and, and look at yourself in the mirror or look at yourself uh, in your phone if you want to have that reverse look. Uh, you know, I, would, I would ask you to not put any judgment on what you're looking at when you do that. I would ask you to just think about uh, what you're grateful for, look at yourself in your eyes and, and think through that for a good 30 seconds for a minute or so. And even think through things that you know, make you make you excited and uh, light you up, uh, that bring joy to you. And I want you to say this phrase to yourself. And this phrase is something that I talk about in the book. And it's really a greeting to yourself. And, and I want you to say these two words. And the, and the two words are high possible. And I want you to look at yourself and think about what that might mean to you today. High possible. And why this is so important, Lisa and, and folks, is that 
I really feel there's there's some secret sauce in this work. There are elements that spell this the, you know the, this phrase out high possible that I think all of you are doing well today, and I think there are pieces that could be intersected that could really help really engage your authentic self and really ignite not only your happiness, yet I think possibilities might pop all around that you might not have recognized before. Yeah, most of them are sitting right in front of you today. You just don't see them as clearly as you would like. And as the first part that I would like to share with you is, you know, this this two-letter word, high, and it's really rep- re- represents happiness and inclusion together, those two words. Happiness and inclusion being a part of everything we do, and it's a part of everything in this book. It's rooted on, it's the platform for change, it's the intersection of the two that make this different and make your world possible and open up uh, in ways you probably had never seen before. And I can tell you for me, this is what's happened to me on my journey. I started my journey thinking, oh my gosh, happiness, I need to find joy. And I started to look at what happiness means out in the world. And a lot of people misuse happiness as a way to sell a product or a solution or that it's fleeting or temporary. And what I recognized when I asked people about happiness or joy, I would ask them, well, what does it mean to you? And People would look away as if I said something that was wrong or we're not allowed to talk about, especially at work. And when I asked people at work what that meant, what I heard is folks say, I really want to help people succeed because I know that means we'll all succeed and I want to trust other people. And it was something as simple as that that we started to build on at a workplace that I was at. It's just it's changing the dialogue a bit to understand where people's joy comes from or where yours comes from so you could understand it. And happiness is unique to all of us. And there are ways to understand that and to address that. And I, I got to tell you, inclusion at the intersection of this is really, for me, how joy exploded. This is where I actually had my light up moment to change. And it was beyond the awakening where when I started to open up my world with differences, I started to expand in ways I could never imagine. I started to see what people defined as joy. I started to see what people try to sell as happiness. I started to see how some of it was real and how some of it was just inauthentic. And I started to see that people were throwing their, their arms in the air saying, it is what, what it is, giving up in life, not really, not really turning their light up inside. Because, you know, after I had my weakening, I actually changed my purpose. My purpose was, you know, to, ch- to really change people and bring out the best of people. What I recognized is that there's a beautiful light inside, all of us inside waiting to be unleashed. And this inclusion allowed me to start to see that more clearly, more vibrantly. And it was amazing when I started to put these two things together, but I started to walk down my path of possibilities where it started to pop and I started to recognize I need to change my ways. Yeah. Moving, you know, moving to possible. It, it's amazing. Taking happiness inclusion throughout this journey. Let me spell this out for you. You know, possible purpose-driven beliefs is when you start to link to something that's greater than you and start to invite the world in differently. The O is for open-minded curiosity. We start to welcome in differences like never before. You start to make connections and see things that have more meaning. And then you start to, to start to build new, new skill sets or start to build out ways where you can actually figure out, hey, I want to learn more. And that's the, that's the third letter S, which is skill set. Uh, the next letter S is all about strong resilience. So when we start to piece these things together, we start to get through the things that are setting us back or holding us back ourselves. We start to become more resilient. We start to find the things that we can overcome. We begin to break through instead of into pieces. We start to identify that, yes. We can, we can do this together. And the I is to imagine with wonderment. Thinking about when you were a child again and starting to tie these pieces to understand what really matters to you, right? As we think about what our purpose is, we're being more open-minded, we're building skill sets, we're more resilient. Now we can actually imagine with wonderment. 
And this builds us the next step, which is brave authenticity, which is we can actually start to be ourselves. So we're connecting to something bigger than ourselves. We actually have greater meaning. And we start to go to the L, which is linking connections all around us, where we start to see joy. We start to see other people smiling. We start to give more. We start to get more back. We start to see love as ever-present. We start to see joy is all around us. And that's where the E is endless possibilities. The E in possible is endless possibilities, where we go from a state of maybe feeling limited to a place that's limitless. And we start to open up our eyes more clearly. We start, start to give back more again with joy. We start to help people with empathy. We start to be there for people in different ways. When we start to do that, we see that there's joyful possibilities for all of us. There's enough room for all of us to have joy and to actually open up our minds in different ways. And I've seen workplaces actually thrive and get doubling of their results. I've seen people have new jobs they never thought that were possible. I've seen people lose weight or do things they never thought were in reach. And it's all within reach. It's all about your mindset and about taking the actions every day to change your habits and doing so with an open, authentic mind rooted in love for yourself and for love, love of others all around you. You said something that I think is really powerful and, and, and it related to there not being limits on joy. I think that many of us believe that either we're not entitled to it, we don't have the skill set for it, or everybody just, you know, gets an allotment of it and that's that. And <laughs> you know, and what I love about possible is you're walking us through the steps for us to actually, you know, flex those muscles, you know, the, the muscles of more positive emotion and affect too. Yeah, it's being able to to share it with the world and to you know, have that light within us turn up bright, be bright and to beam. And it's so important when we do that, because I think as we, we do that for ourselves, we're able to help out others. And as we help others shine, we all become brighter as a result. And, you know, I, I, I've known you for a few years now, and I have uh, watched your journey, you know, and how you have expanded your mind, your presence, um, the work that you do, your your reach, and the response of people to what you're sharing. Because I mean, I want to go back to y your self uh, reference as you know, as a white guy, <laughs> you know, that you're you know a, a a white guy with with big feelings and big desires and and big wishes, not just for yourself but for those around you. And so for me, the word generosity of the words generosity of spirit come to mind, which I think this process is also about. It has been a spiritual journey for, for me, Lisa. I didn't anticipate that going into this journey or, or what would be happening. It's been this year's been a year of love. Uh, it's a year that I'm trying to focus on that. However, what I've noticed is the love I'm getting back. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's so heartfelt. Uh, people sharing, and there's this level of hope out in the world right now. We all need a, a bit of change. We need a bit of joy and love and possibilities in our life. And what people are sharing with me, yeah, I'm overwhelmed and, I, you know, it's, it's emotional. And, you know, like you, you know, we joke, we're joking. I'm a white guy. Like I'm, I'm not allowed to share some of those emotions, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the struggle, <laughs> right? All, all this is, all this could be perceived as squishy, yet this is at the underpinning of humans and how we can actually unlock our potential, no matter who you are. And it's about how we interact every single day and the genuine care and interest we take in each other. When we, when we actually step in and do this hard work and actually care and step in where people are, it's amazing what happens. And I've been, I, I, thankfully I've been rewarded for so many friendships and, and elements of support that I just, I'm filled with love. And, you know, Lisa, you're one of them. It's amazing 
to chat with you and catch up with you and bounce things off each other. And uh, you're an amazing guide and spirit. And I appreciate Aww, you. Darren, we do have some good hangouts, you know, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in the middle of nowheresville. <laughs> Darren and I, great coffee we meet, try to meet once a month in a small, a very affluent podunk town, <laughs> or we meet at the bougie coffee <laughs> shop of this town and uh, catch up. <laughs> you might have to share that link. It's a great spot. It's a secret for now. (laughs) (laughs) We are out of time. And I want to congratulate you on your book because I know how much work, blood, sweat, tears, love, anxiety, vulnerability, all of the squishy stuff and all of the real hard work that goes into writing a book and bringing it to the marketplace. And, And you've done it so successfully. The book's name, once again, is Live Your Possible, Ignite Your Happy, Authentic Self, and Live a Fulfilling Life Rooted in Joy, Inclusion, Love, and Possibilities. My guest today has been my friend, Darren Tully. You can learn more at IgniteHappy.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, you can find Darren there as well, at Ignite Happy. Darren, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Lisa. Keep making a difference. Here comes that quick pause. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. This episode was recorded while on the road. And you know what that means? Imperfect sound, imperfect technology, but still that perfect health consciously prepared brain food. Welcome back. We're talking about sparking possibilities, reigniting purpose and meaning. My next guest is Michael Clinton. And Michael Clinton is the former president and publishing director at Hearst Magazines and is currently special media advisor to the Hearst Corporation CEO an author, photographer, avid traveler, and adventurer. He believes that everyone should strive to live the fullest life possible, especially in the second half. Michael Clinton holds two master's degrees, and he is in the house today. Hi, Michael. Hi there. So great to be with you. Thank you so much for that nice introduction. Oh, well, thanks for being here, and thanks for putting into words something that many of us are feeling as we sort of dance in the middle juicy part of life. Talk about your experience, your journey to this place of roaring. Well, you know, one of the things that I, um, I realized as we are getting into that midpoint in our life is that we've been taught that we're supposed to wind down. We've been taught that this was the long slide We've been taught that by our culture, by our government policies, by our corporations. And, you know, what I came to realize is that if you're 50 and healthy, you have a really good shot of living to be 90. And so you have a good opportunity to wind up, to do a lot of things in the second half of your life that you may put on the shelf, you may have forgotten about. You can become an entrepreneur. You can ignite some new passions. You can go take a second career. I mean, it is a long arc, and we're going to be breaking up what was the previously conceived life cycles. So it's all about winding up. 
I like this winding up. Yes. As many people think that as we move into sunset careers, right, that we're winding down and what you're suggesting and many of us are experiencing is the opposite, you know, that we're catapulting ourselves to new levels of curiosity and action. Yeah. I mean, you know, for sure, one of the things that we take our cues from are a lot of the words and the images and the things that are put out there in the in in the culture at large, which fight against us in terms of the possibilities that we have. I think you know that the and these are predominantly boomers, and you know how boomers are redefining everything. And so, I, I like to say we're not getting older, but we're living longer. I like to say that sixty-five is not the new 45. I like to say that 65 is the new 65. And <laughs> we are re, we are redefining. I, you know, I interviewed 40 amazing people in this book. I call them the reimagineers. They're the ones who are identifying 70 as the new 70. Dynamic, active, tech savvy, involved, engaged. And, you know, it is a good reminder that there is a very, very different script that is there and that we can all create a new kind of script for ourselves individually and for our, for our uh, cohort, if you will. Well, I think one of the, the benefits of aging is street cred, you know, like mm. uh, I mm. think in, in this part of life, and I don't know if that's your experience, that there's a, a, a sort of empirical knowledge of being older and a little bit wiser. And so it automatically gives you a little bit more gravitas in your field. Yeah, no question. I mean, as as you mentioned, I spent a very long magazine publishing career. I had the great pleasure of launching Oprah's magazine with our team and and uh, HETV and Food Network, and we have Esquire and Town and Country and Good Housekeeping, and so it's it was a really interesting, wonderful career. And the thing that I like to say is that we learn in our business. It's all about editing. And so as you get that wisdom and that gravitas that you mentioned, it really is uh, editing has really become a great skill because we take the extraneous things out of our lives and we nurture and develop the things that we really want to do with our time, the people we want to be with, the ways that we're spending our days. And a lot of that comes from the, the editing process of having already lived 50 years and knowing what we don't like and what we do like. And so, you know, yeah, it's a great moment to be able to to pivot into the next. And let's talk a little bit about this process and resources. You know, not everybody has the luxury of being able to bounce from one career to no career and just being an adventurer and explorer, or maybe the resources to move from one job that they've had for decades to something else freely. And I think what your book suggests, I think what Roar suggests is this level of passion in regardless of what you choose to do or are able to do. Yeah, it's a really great point. One of the things that that I learned with all these interviews and the research that I did is that, you know, people oftentimes say, well, I don't have the time and I don't have the money. And time is what we create for ourselves. And what I learned is there's an enormous amount of uh, possibilities in terms of Pell Grants and federal grants and a source called Scholarship Owl. And 
places where people who are at midlife can get resources to completely retool. What, one of my favorite interviews was Stephanie, uh, who was a 53-year-old. She had been a book editor her entire career. And at 53, she decided she was going to become a doctor. Now, a medical doctor. Wow. Yeah. Good for now, her. You, yeah. Now, you know what that journey's like. <laughs> so, but to her credit, not only did she find a path and she tells her story, but she got all her education paid for by doing the homework of where she could get grants and so forth. And she's in her early 60s now and she's a doctor. And she said, you know what? You know, I'll be a doctor for 20 years or more. And that'll be a really fulfilling career. So we have to we have to be thinking about second and third careers, not the way we thought about our first career, but, you know, as really a passion that was going to give us fulfillment. And and as you know, all, all too well, fulfillment and satisfaction is really what is the road to, to happiness. So your podcast, Harvesting Happiness, to me, it's all about <laughs> finding the things to fulfill you and satisfy you. And that's how you do the harvest. Obviously, I agree. And also what I have found with what you describe is that that in of itself, the satisfaction from doing the good work becomes its own kind of currency. It's very sustaining. Doesn't pay the mortgage, of course, but it does fulfill us on a really soulful level. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the great things about being at Midpoint is that you do have a perspective on that life has ups and life has downs. And while we want to pursue the moments to being happy, we know that they're cyclical. We know that they, you know, there are times when things aren't great and times when things are better. And I did a great interview with a psychologist and she talks about this very topic, this thing that also happens with people in mid midlife is they get, they can get into negative self-talk because, you know, I should have done this and I should have done that. And I might've done this and I might've done that. But we have to, you know, move on from that. We did a survey in the book. We had 630 respondents about national survey. And one of the questions we asked is, if you could redo something in your past, would you? And a very high number, 76% said yes. One of the biggest responses, the number one response, actually, which also created the most write-in response on the, the survey was I would rethink my marriage and or the person that I married, which I thought was really pretty stunning. But if you think about it, you know, if you're 55 or 60 and you got married when you were 25, you know, you may be a very different person now. I mean, yeah. my, my own mother at 64 asked my father uh, for a divorce after 40 years of marriage. And it was just that she had spun off into a very different kind of life that she wanted to live versus my dad. And she went on and lived that life for another 23 years before we lost her, you know, when she died peacefully in her sleep, but very happy that she lived a life for 20 some years that was her, her image of what she wanted to do. That, that level of authenticity, right? That we get mm -hmm. to be who, who we are, but you know, you often don't discover that until you're in that ripe, juicy midpoint either. You don't really know who you are. So, so true. You know, I, going back to words, um, I just don't like the word midlife crisis. I like the word midlife awakening. Yes. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do, to your point, you do discover, you know, you've lived a good chunk of time and you do know who you are and what you want. And you want to feel empowered to make the choices for 
a new direction, whether that's work or it's lifestyle or it's partners or whatever. And being, you know, awoken, if that's a word, is that a word? Awakened? Awakened. awakened. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you can I make those you. decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what's interesting, I was having this conversation with my mother who is in her late seventies and a younger girlfriend of mine who's in her late 40s, separate conversations about the very same thing, about sort of reevaluating where one is in, in space and time. And, you know, when we're younger, for many of us, the push is the partnership, right? To find the one, the person with whom you make your life. And then for some, and I'm talking about my myself in this category, you get to a certain point in life where, you know, I, I adore my partner. He is the apple of my eye and the center of my world in many ways. But if, if, if circumstances were to change, would I necessarily pursue partnership in the second half of life when life is so full with all these other things, friendships, relationships, connection, children, hopefully grandchildren, you know, you, you follow where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, for for sure. You know, I live in New York City, where there are a lot of people who are in this this world that you describe. Women who you know never had children and didn't want children. Some are married, some aren't. Same with men. And I think that you know there are choices that we can now have. That if we want to be partnered, we can be. If we don't, we don't have to be. We surround ourselves with friends and the things that fulfill us. And I think there are certainly depends on where you live, but there are lots and lots of uh, those kinds of circles in New York, as you probably as you probably know. And here's the thing that's so interesting. One of my favorite stories, also in the book, I was listening to an NPR interview. She w- he was 104, and she was 100-ish, maybe 101. <laughs> they were a new couple. And wow. she, yeah, she basically said, well, I wake up every day and I roll over to see if he's still breathing. And if he is, I know we're going to have another day together. Fabulous. And I think, I think that's great. But I think there's always the possibilities of, you know, things to enter your life and you have to be open to them. So here's a couple in their hundreds who were open to, you know, romance, if you will. And so you have to be open to things because um, that's the beauty of the universe as they bring things, as it brings things to us. I love that. Let's take a pause. We'll be right back. We are going to continue the conversation with my guest today, Michael Clinton. He is the author of Roar into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. To learn more, please visit RoarByMichaelClinton.com, on Twitter at M.A. Clinton, on Facebook, Roar by Michael Clinton, and on Instagram, Roar Michael Clinton. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is an absolute guarantee. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. 
This episode was recorded while on the road, and you know what that means. Imperfect sound, imperfect technology, but still that perfect, health-consciously prepared brain food. Welcome back. Talking about sparking possibilities, reigniting purpose and meaning. Let's get back to the conversation with Michael Clinton. Michael, let's just jump right into some of the statistics about our aging U.S. population, because you, you, you shared something during the break that I think is really important, and we should, we should listen up. Yeah, I think the thing that is really, to take a pause and think about this, 34% of the U.S. population right now is over 50. Every day, 10,000 Americans turn 65. In the year 2030, one in five Americans will be 65 and over. And that is creating an enormous new sensibility and group of people in the country in terms of behavior, interests, spending power, of which they have an enormous amount. That group has $15 trillion in spending power, which is double that what it was 10 years ago. And I might add, they will have the largest transfer generational wealth in the history of the world, over $60 trillion in assets. So, of course, not everyone has the good fortune of having so many of these, these assets in terms of ownership, but many, many will. And the, the redefinition of how people are going to choose to live their lives in 50 plus are going to be bountiful. I, you know, I'll give you an example. The Kauffman Foundation in Kansas City, 26% of entrepreneurs in this country are now 55 to 64 as people are starting new businesses after their first career. There are a dozen or more universities that have midlife transition programs everyone from Harvard to the University of Minnesota to help people along. I, I personally went back to Columbia University in my 60s and got a master's degree, um, which was a fascinating experience to go through, although I have to admit taking exams and quizzes was not <laughs> something that <laughs> I was thinking about before I did it. But, you know, I was, um, you know, there's a, this lifelong learning issue. And it is really critical to, to keep ourselves engaged. And then I'll give you one, one more stat since you asked. Um, we have in this country about 89,000 centenarians of people who are 100 years or older. Wow. Yeah. And there will be by 2060 almost 600,000. And by the year 2100, of which those babies have been born, the projection is there will be over 5 million Americans who will be living the 100-year life. So think about that in terms of how everything is going to change as people move into their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. It's going to become really a movement of change that will start now and continue on you know, well into you know, the decades ahead. Well, I think you touch upon something interesting about the notion of retirement. I think that mm. the tide is changing. You know, there's there's no one in my peer group, whether they can afford it or not, who would even entertain retirement in terms of like, you know, playing golf every day or playing tennis every day, that this phase of life is a very you know productive one where they're out in the world being of service, being of use to others in one form or another, wh whether it's creatively based or action based. 
So I think that that's another trend that retirement is, is actually a recipe for distress for some, like the idea of sitting at home or sitting on the golf course is more frightening <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, I've been going around the country giving talks, some live, some virtual, and I think there's a theme that is emerging, very much touching on what you suggest, and that is, you know, people, re quote, retire, which I, to me is a very toxic word, which I'll get back to in a minute, um, that people say, well, for the first year or so, you know, I'm like, woohoo, I'm free, I can do this, I can do that. Now, we have just, you know, had... 18 months of pandemic and we're still not completely out of it. So it put a cramp on some style, but most people after a year or two of it sort of stop and say, um, I'm 65. I can't do this for the rest of my life, which might be another 25 years. So the aha moment is occurring. And so many people have brought this up to me, uh, in these various, you know, talks and forums and so forth. And, um, the thing that I will say is that I like the word refire as opposed to retire in, in whatever way you choose to do it, um, because there is going to be, you know, an enormous amount of interest to being engaged and being relevant and being involved. And there are so many different directions people can take. So the, the, the goal of the book um, was to really put a put a big spotlight on this, not only with the stories, but with a lot of tools and resources and thoughts about how one can go about doing it. So I, I sort of view it as a, um, you know, a treatise about second half, second half living. I love it. I, I, I am right there with you. I, uh, I'm always looking for ways to learn new things and engage differently in the world in a multi-generational way. You know, I think mm -hmm. that is another thing mm -hmm. that has uh, mm -hmm. become very clear at, at this mm -hmm. phase of life that we could go either way. We can go up or down mm -hmm. <laughs> with the yeah. age groups that we fit in with, you know, and uh, that's very liberating, right? The, the sort of the rules are no longer the rules. They're new rules. Yeah, I think for sure. And I think we need to blow up a lot of things that are um, no longer relevant to us. I'll give you one great example. The, there was a piece in the New York Times a few weeks ago about some developers who were creating multi-generational housing instead of this ghettoization of let's put all the 60 plus year olds in this one place. Yeah. And, you know, that to me is not a great solution. In, in whatever, whatever form it is, it may have been a solution. It, it may have been a good solution when the, the life expectancy was 60, which was in the 1940s, early 60s. But what happens is if you move into that kind of place in your, in your early 60s, you know, and you're going to live to be 90, you're going to be very cordoned off by a lot of wonderful stimulation you could have from younger generations and families with children and all the above. And these developers are creating a new, a new format. The other thing is I think a lot of people, especially in this generation, want, will want to age at home. And with medical technology and AI and you know, new caring services, people will be able to do that as opposed to having to be moved into facilities that is sort of, you know, not the most desirable in terms of the, the environment. So, you know, aging at home is going to become more and more the new normal as well. So I think we're on the verge of a lot of change in this whole space. I think so too. I mean, 
you know, to speak, uh, go back to talk about what you were saying about like residential communities for older people that, you know, that those are no longer sort of warehouses to death's waiting room, you know, that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this multi-generational model, especially because the definition of, of family has evolved so much over the last 20, 30 years, right? What, what constitutes a family and a family of choice versus a family of origin? So I think that 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 living model, it makes good sense. Yeah, I think that this this was the generation, uh, the older boomers were the generation that were first um, talking about communes and living in communes. Yes. Um, so well, let's bring back the commune in a different constituted form. <laughs> yes. My, my, yeah, my fantasy is to live in a big compound with all my friends and a few families thrown in and, you know, have a really great time. So let's think about new ways of, of, of creating communities that can do that. I am with you. We have a joke uh, around our place that everybody should like have their own airstream with a hammock, you know, <laughs> with a with a communal lodge and kitchen. <laughs> yeah, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I agree. I hear you. I hear you. Well, what what good fun this has been. We've been talking with Michael Clinton today. His book is Roar into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. To learn more about his work, please go to RoarByMichaelClinton.com, on Twitter at M.A. Clinton, on Facebook, Roar by Michael Clinton, and on Instagram, Roar Michael Clinton. Come back, hang out. Let's talk more about like growing young or growing old fashionably, because <laughs> this is good fun. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. And we're going to be actually launching the Roar newsletter in January. So you can sign up on RoarByMichaelClinton.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen on behalf of my guests, Darren Tully and Michael Clinton, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.